You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. Uh, today, I'm joined by Kim Brackett, and she is an Idaho cattlewoman. And Kim has been very involved in the cattle industry's sustainability efforts. And most recently, she testified on behalf of the entire cattle industry to the U.S. House Agriculture Subcommittee on Livestock and Foreign Agriculture. And Kim did an excellent job of talking about not only NCBA's recently released sustainability goals, but the overall feeling of sustainability and conservation in the livestock and specifically the cattle industry. So Kim, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you, Ashley. I appreciate the invitation and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Wonderful. Well, I gave just a little bit of background on you, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and and how you got to the spot that you are right now as an advocate for the industry. Sure. Uh, My husband and I, we have four kids and we are cow-calf producers in Southern Idaho. Um, That's been a lot of fun. They're mostly teenagers now, so I'm getting a lot of work out of them, which has made the past uh, 15 years definitely worthwhile. Um, I've done uh, different leadership roles in the industry, most recently um, part of the Beef Industry Long Range Plan Task Force, which I really enjoyed. That was a wonderful experience. I am currently president-elect of the Idaho Cattle Association and really appreciated the opportunity to testify a couple of weeks ago. So why did you say yes? That is, you know, no small task. I know there was hours of prep put into that. Um, It is certainly intimidating to sit in front of a panel of members of Congress. You know, why did you say yes? Why did you feel like it was important to do that? That's a great question that several folks asked me previous to testifying. What are you thinking? But I looked at it as an opportunity to to reach across that divide once again. We have such a divide between rural America and urban decision makers. And I just looked at it as another chance for me to reach across, bridge that gap, and talk about what we do on our ranch and what sustainability is for me personally and for the industry at large. Um, I think having a rancher's perspective uh, was really beneficial um, during during that committee meeting. Yeah, and you know, we say it all the time in our DC-based office, our lobbyists can go out and talk to folks all day long about the cattle industry, but our most powerful tool is when ranchers who are actually putting in the work on the ground every single day, you know, come to DC and talk to people and, and share their experience. I agree. Um, it was it was great. The questions were wonderful. And I hope that I left them understanding that there is a lot of sustainability work being done on America's farms and ranches already being done that being solution minded, we can collaborate and focus on solutions for this. But regulations are not the answer. So that's what I tried to leave them with and hope that was the overall impression. So can we dive into that a little bit more? Can you just walk us through some of the main points of your testimony? Oh, you bet. Um, 
like I said, I tried to make it personal. So I gave several examples of what we do on our ranch that are sustainability practices. Um, I talked about targeted grazing. We, we run on federal lands here in Southern Idaho. We have private lands and federal lands. So I talked a lot about how we use targeted grazing as a tool, um, specifically to reduce fuel loads. We want to avoid those massive wildfires. We've had those, um, those are terrible experiences. So with being able to reduce fuel loads through grazing. And we also use grazing as a way to combat invasive annual grasses. That's a, that's a key role for us here in the, in the Great Basin area. I talked about how grazing contributes to carbon sequestration and that the key role of U.S. farms and ranches, the role that they do play in protecting our country's legacy carbon sinks, really try to underscore the importance of keeping farms and ranches intact. Um, another area that I talked about is the role that we play in safeguarding wildlife habitats. Uh, you know, that could be migratory corridors, that could be flyways. Um, and to bring that point home from a personal perspective, I talked about the um, pipeline system that we have on our ranch. Uh, we developed that to bring water from the mountains down across our high desert country, which was a great thing for the ranch. We're able to run cattle in areas that we couldn't previously due to lack of water. But that, of course, led to increased wildlife populations from increase in birds to a larger big game habitat in that area. Essentially, I think my main point was trying to say that the climate battle needs cattle and not regulations. So let's talk about that a little bit more. When we talk about regulating people out of business, what do we mean when we say that? And, and why is it such a big issue and something that you've said a couple of times in, in our conversation, actually? You know, um, that probably comes from the fact that we are federal land permittees. So we deal with a lot of regulations on a daily basis. Um, it actually feels like more of our time is probably spent dealing with red tape than with cattle some days, which is incredibly frustrating. We run cattle in Idaho and Nevada, and we run cattle on BLM and Forest Service. So that gives me four different agencies um, in, you know, two in each state plus the federal agencies that we have to um, we have to make our management decisions based against those regulations. So it gets very overwhelming. It gets very expensive. Um, the threat of litigation is always over our head. We have constant um, litigation from environmental groups in this area. So it's inc increasingly expensive to manage around that. I think that's a really good point. And I think that just really illustrates the concept of Every single decision that farmers and ranchers make, you know, you, your family included, is really based off of conservation and environmental stewardship. Because if you're not taking care of the land, you know, the old cliche goes, the land's not going to take care of you. And it's not going to take care of your family for generations to come when when they take over the ranch. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's something that is so obvious to us as farmers and ranchers that we feel like it goes without saying. But we have to remember, again, that rural urban divide. There's so many people that don't understand animal agriculture. They don't understand livestock production. They don't understand that if we were making poor management decisions about the health of our ecosystems, that we would lose our ranch. We, we would be out of business. So it's, it's continuing to get, engage in those discussions um, and making sure people understand that what we're doing is sustainable, both environmentally and economically. 
And that is a perfect segue into my next question. I feel like more so lately, there's been articles coming out from some pretty big mainstream um, media outlets about um, their thoughts on the the sustainability of the cattle industry and, and what farmers and ranchers are doing. But I think what's been being portrayed in mainstream media is a very different story than what's actually happening in the feelings about conservation and environmental stewardship and investments in, um, you know, innovative technologies that drive our industry forward. I think there is, you know, a feeling of, yeah, let's do that. Let's get behind that. Let's improve the land. Let's make sure the water is clean. Um, and, and that's not necessarily being portrayed in mainstream media. What What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I'm always talking about the fact that this sustainability narrative is being written and driven by people who don't understand, who don't understand the cattle industry. They don't understand livestock production. However, there are so many opportunities for us to collaborate because we truly do have a lot of the same goals, right? We 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 have the same goals. We want to. I'm in I'm in Idaho, so we talk a lot about rangeland health. We want to improve rangeland health. We have sage grouse. We want to increase sage grouse habitat. So we have the same goals, and I think it's really important that. We as cattle producers understand that in order to be successful in combating that sustainable narrative that's coming out of mainstream media, and actually um, we what we need to do is collaborate. We need to reach out to some of these. There's a lot of friendly conservation groups who are willing to put dollars on the ground and help create some of these, it might be wildlife habitat programs or projects. There's a lot of opportunity for collaboration in this area. So I would really encourage producers to think about reaching, reaching out, reach out of our silo, see who we can talk to and kind of bridge that gap. And let's make this sustainability effort broader. You mentioned um, new technologies. There are so many innovative technologies going on right now. Um, I wish that some of those would get traction in mainstream media. The success story we have with the technologies from uh, cow-calf all the way through each segment of our, of our supply chain. So Kim, can you tell us a little bit about some of those technologies that you all might be using or that friends and, and family in the industry might be using? Well, sure. I feel like um, I can talk most intelligently about technologies at the cow-calf level, um, and I will dive into that, but I would be remiss if I didn't point out the feed efficiency um, at our feedlot level. They have done such tremendous work in that area that definitely pertains to um, sustainability and the footprint that, that the cattle industry has um, across the country. So that would be a leading technology that I feel like gets a bad rap. Um, technology at the cow-calf level, some of the fun stuff. Some of the interesting things that we have used is uh, geofencing, the GPS collars. It's a, it's a new application of targeted grazing. So we don't have to go and fence our pastures into very small paddocks. We don't have to use electric fencing. You can use this geofencing technology, which is really exciting. It allows us to move the cattle into specific areas. Uh, perhaps we're trying to stop an invasive annual grass and we want to graze that area before the, the grass goes to 
to seed, for example. So that's a lot of fun. Um, some of the other technology is GIS, being able to do our monitoring using like Google Earth technology and taking data from smaller um, plot points, from monitor plot points, and being having the capability to extrapolate that data to a much larger area has been a godsend for me, having to uh, being able to reduce my time spent on monitoring on these federal lands. So those are two really fun ones. Um, a lot of and the great thing for me is my kids are excited about this technology. So it's getting them more involved and wanting to be on the ranch um, and being more involved in that sustainability aspect as well. Well, and I'm going to kind of just uh, throw a wrench in the things that I said that we were going to talk about, but you bring up a really good point about your children being interested in the technology. And I think a lot of times the conversation has been about the higher education um, that especially kids that are planning on going back to farms and ranches is going to look totally different. They're going to learn how to, how to use computer systems and learn how to use more technology than perhaps we may have thought about in years past. And so I just think that's a, a really cool point that you bring up. And when we talk about education in agriculture, your children are getting an incredible education now, but in order to help your farm and, and your ranch, you know, continue into the future, the education and the knowledge that they're going to bring back is going to be incredible. Oh, I can hardly wait for some of them to go to college, uh, not just to get smelly teenagers out of my house, but to come back and bring some of this really exciting, um, the innovation that's going on at the university level and bringing that back to the ranch, I think will be fantastic. My youngest is 13. And one of his favorite things to do is to run the um, EID wand on our, you know, the tag, EID tags we have in the cattle and to fly the drone. So if we've got cattle maybe in a wilderness area, Area that we can't easily get to and we want to see if we missed him on our re-ride, we can fly the drone up there. And he loves that. So it's for me, it's a fun way to get the kids engaged and bring them back. You talk about different education opportunities. And um, I do, I, my boys really are headed to college and it's really fascinating for them to um, decide what colleges they want to go to and what programs of study are of interest to them. There's such a broad variety from um you know, wildlife hospitality, maybe that would be an interesting thing to bring back to the ranch, to risk management, to there's so there's so much out there. I don't know that they can um, focus it and learn everything that I want them to learn in a short four years at college. Right. Well, you talk about your son's flying drones, and that makes me incredibly jealous. I want to come out to your ranch and, and help fly the drones. You're welcome. Come anytime. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, just the, the last question today, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know, obviously testifying in front of Congress is a really big deal, but it's not something you're going to get to do every day. But earlier you said something that really stuck out to me and you said there's something ranchers and farmers can do every single day to bridge that gap, to bridge that divide that we sometimes have between, well, I mean that we often have between um, consumers or politicians. And so what are the little things that folks can do every single day to get involved? You know, I think that's good. And I should probably clarify that a little bit. I always refer to it as rural urban, but my kids go to a very small rural school and we face that divide even in that school with uh, students, with parents, with, with teachers. So it's, it is everywhere. My advice to producers, um, 
you know, I have to say, I love this industry and I love farmers and ranchers. I could spend hours just visiting with them and soaking up their experience and their knowledge. Um, but at the end, and one of my things I admire most, honestly, is that they are some of the most humble people I ever meet. And nobody likes to brag about themselves or what we do on our ranch. But I really try to encourage producers to, first of all, learn about and understand the interrelatedness of sustainability in the cattle industry, right? So understand how that works on your ranch. And then second, you've got to take the time and have some of those conversations. You need to open up a little bit and talk to people about maybe an example of sustainability or a sustainable practice that you employ on your ranch. And it doesn't mean testifying at Congress. I'm talking about you could visit with folks that are uh, standing beside you in line at the bank or sitting beside you at your child's sporting event. All of those people need to understand the positive contributions that cattle make to our ecosystem and to the climate discussion at large. So I, I really encourage them to, to come out of their shell a little bit and start having those conversations. Well, Kim, this has been just a really incredible conversation. And thank you so much for uh, testifying, first of all, but for the continued work that you do every single day for the industry, because I know sometimes it's a thankless job, but, you know, as someone who grew up in agriculture and, and is now starting my career in agriculture, it's folks like you that are willing to go out and defend the industry um, that have made it possible for, for me to enter into a career in it. So um, thank you so much for, for all that you do. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.